Hey everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. I'm Andre, and I'm here with Michael, and on today's episode, titled, We'll Meet Again, we will discuss Nehemiah chapter 13, in which Israel begins to become unfaithful, Nehemiah's righteous anger, and a look to season two. We hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Well, it's all coming to a close. This is our last episode in Nehemiah, and the summer is winding down. Yeah, this prolonged summer was kind of great, though. It's kind of been summer since like March, since we've both been home. We've had a lot of time to work on the podcast. It's been super fun. It is the last last episode of Nehemiah, and while that's bittersweet, I'm looking forward to working on the next season before we actually end up running out of time this summer. Exactly. Andre's leaving soon for his internship, and I'm going back to school, and once we're at school in the fall, season two will begin. We're going to announce a little bit more about that soon. But just thinking about the summer, like it's been a lot of great times just uh, talking about God's word, spending time together with our group, whether that's playing sand volleyball or meeting around the Bible, just any of those things. It's been a really fun summer, even though it's kind of downed by some of the lockdowns and COVID. It's been a it's been a great time. You know, I think it was actually a very, very productive summer for me, just getting to work, growing my faith, taking a summer class, spending a lot of time with family. Uh, I, I, I've really enjoyed this summer, I, I think. It, I think it was one of my favorite summers, just the chilled vibe of it. I think just slowing down, just enjoying smaller details of you know playing volleyball or, or just working, doing that kind of thing, working on myself. Uh, it was just really great for me. It kind of just like fits my personality a little bit more than the more rushed summers that I've had in the past. Oh, for sure. My girlfriend thinks I'm a homebody and that I'm made for the lockdowns because I can kind of spend a lot of time inside. But it was a really great summer just as it's coming to a close. And one thing I did learn, though, and I'm glad it's my last summer that's going to be before another year of undergrad, is summer classes are brutal. Four-week classes, all of those 16 weeks of content jammed into four weeks, that's crazy. I'm so glad I'm never doing that again. Summer classes, definitely, hopefully never again. Another thing that I learned is taking a class while working, that's a big no. That's, it's so difficult. Like you just, it just makes you like think in two very different ways of working and taking a class and doing it at the same time is just, it just drains you. See, your job was about corrosion inhibitors or some chemical engineering thing that none of the rest of us know anything about. I know there's a lot of listeners who can resonate with me about that, but when I worked freshman year at OU, I worked at a rock climbing gym and I thought that was a lot of fun just because it was such a different pace from being on campus. Yeah, I guess maybe because I was doing like calculations and thinking a lot in work that it was similar to my school, but it was also very, very different in the way I had to go about it. But I don't know, overall, I just I just really love this summer and I'm excited to start working on the next season of the podcast where we are taking about a few, like a month or so off from releasing episodes while we work on some stuff. And obviously you're going to be in Oklahoma. I'm going to be in Houston. So we'll both be relatively close to home, but we want to just make sure that we do it right and get everything uh, organized and edited properly before we like actually start releasing new episodes and make sure we have enough content. Exactly. There'll be, it'll, the next season will release sometime in the middle of the fall towards the front end of that. And we're already starting to try to line up some interviews for that, but we're really excited to get going on that. And 
Now we can just look and flip to chapter 13 of Nehemiah, the final chapter in the entire Ezra-Nehemiah story. As we said from the beginning, it was originally one book, and we're coming to the conclusion of all of that. So we're going to look at this chapter, what goes on with Nehemiah and the people of Israel, and then how that leads into the story of Jesus. And this is just a really great chapter. It's a really good one to, to end on, and it's a really good one to point to the New Testament, what we're doing next season. I just, I really enjoyed how Nehemiah kind of had a, a first half, then we had kind of a midpoint, then we had the second half, and we've kind of been going through that to where there was a, there was a, a period of restoration, there was a period of reformation, and how those two things went together, how Ezra and Nehemiah uh, led the people to rebuild and uh, reform Jerusalem, and how that was something that God uh, wanted to happen, and how he found favor in that. And this last chapter, there's kind of two different parts as well. We're in the beginning, we see that it's Nehemiah's final reform. So about the middle of this chapter, we're going to see Nehemiah go back to the king. But before that, uh, he reads from the book of, uh, they read from the book of Moses again. And it says that they found written some new things. And this just kind of just showed to me that they were still learning about uh, all the laws and what God wanted from them and what was the expectations for them for the covenant. And they were still learning. And there's just like a cool reference to the Ammonites and the Moabites that Michael and I were talking about before we started recording. And this goes back to numbers and he has a little bit of a mini history about what's going on here. So in verse two, it says that the Ammonites and Moabites did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam to curse them and God turned the curse into a blessing. So if you're not familiar with numbers, there's some amazing parts. It kind of has a really boring title Especially if you don't have a job like Andre where you're just making calculations about corrosion inhibitors, then it's definitely not a, a book title for you. But thinking about numbers, the original Hebrew word I think actually means something like or along the lines of into the wilderness. And in Numbers 22 through 24, we see this story about Balaam. So Balak was the son of the Moabite king, and he was a little angry about the success of the Israelites who had been at the time wandering through the the land uh, on their way to the promised land. And so he hired or asked Balaam, who was a pagan sorcerer, to curse Israel, again, who was in the wilderness. And this is the same story where the Lord speaks through the donkey, giving a word of truth and rebuke to Balaam. Essentially, Balaam says to Balak, before I curse, I want to go talk and pray to the Hebrew God. And God, Yahweh, tells Balaam, that he's just going to say what he appoints him to say. And every time Balaam looks to speak, instead of uttering a curse, he utters blessing, which is why the verse continues and says, yet our God turned the curse into a blessing because Balaam could only bless. And then the story continues. And this is just interesting because this was a story that they found and they said, okay, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't get to marry these two people groups and this is what happened. And now they know about it. They're aware of it. Okay, cool. And then we move on to the next next part of the story. Right. There is a little bit more going on there. It's it's not just about those two people groups, but it is really just that they want to be purified from foreigners in the sense that they want to have a identity as Israel, as the remnant. So we'd seen at the beginning of the book of Ezra, which we didn't spend a lot of time talking about, but it is part of the whole story. 
In the beginning of Ezra in chapter 1, we learn about how the only people who returned from exile from Persia back to Jerusalem were those whose hearts were stirred up by God to return, giving the sense that the ones who returned were not just identifying with Israel, but were part of the true remnant, those who had a heart for seeking the Lord and obeying the law. And so they wanted to maintain their identity as God's chosen people, Israel. And then the next thing that we see is that uh, Nehemiah, it says he was, he says, I was not in Jerusalem during that time when they were setting up the temple and uh, preparing the house of God. And then it says that in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes uh, rule, uh, he basically goes back to the king and then so then basically upon Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem, it's discovered that a uh, chambers was set up for Tobiah in a place that should have been for the house of God. And Nehemiah was extremely angered by this. He, it says in verse eight that uh, Nehemiah says, and I was very angry and I threw the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And this is something that Mike just described as righteous anger. And it really just reminded me of when Jesus was extremely angered, angered at the merchants in, in the temple and he kind of did something very similar to where he got extremely angry and kind of just flipped the tables and that kind of thing. Right. So it's easy for us to think that all anger is a sin. And I, I don't think that's actually what the scripture is telling us. We see in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But he does says he does say be angry. He just says don't sin. And then like Andre is talking about in Matthew 21, we see Jesus cleansing the temple, as the heading says, starting in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So a very similar thing that Jesus is doing and This is actually referring back to our episode on the jealousy of God. We see that just as Jesus had, Nehemiah has a a righteous jealousy, a proper jealousy, just as God is jealous for us like we talked about. So they were, he was jealous and Jesus was jealous for the word and the will of God to be obeyed. So when we're thinking about righteous versus sinful anger, we can probably say that righteous anger as seen here, roots in a heart that wants God to be worshiped and wants people to be obedient. But sinful anger, which is most often what we see when people are actually angry, roots in a heart that wants to feel better by throwing a fit, essentially, and seeks to hurt people. So there's a lot under the surface about what is the motive, and as a result, what actually comes out. And you know, it just makes a lot of sense that Nehemiah would be angry, because he spent all this time uh, restoring the wall uh, basically, God wanted him to do this. He did this as a faithful servant. Uh, he was the governor of the city. He set everything up how how it should have been. Uh, he left some people in charge. And when he gets back, verse 11, it says he confronted the officials, which are the people who he, he put in place to kind of ensure that the city would be maintained and maintained pure while he was gone. And he says, why is the house of God forsaken? He's basically asking them, why did we go through all this trouble of restoring Jerusalem just for me to be gone for for just for him to be gone for a short period of time and then to return and they're right back into the same sinful ways that they were before. Literally, it goes through every single part of the things that they're doing wrong and it basically just reminds me of chapter 10 of all the things that the covenant said that they were going to do right and basically every single account is 
the exact opposite of what they promised they were going to do to God. And Nehemiah, he's honestly, <clears throat> he's taken aback by this. Three separate times he says, he asked God to remember him and remember the things that he did and not to remember him based on what the sins of the rest of the people in Jerusalem are. Exactly. So if we remember back when they made their recommitment to the covenant, when they did the covenantal renewal, and we talked a lot about that theme, we saw that they entered into an oath that also had a curse. So if they broke their oath and their they did not hold the stipulations that they had given, the obligations to the covenant, then they would enter into a curse. And so he, in the sense that they had potential provision, protection, and blessing, it is now a curse and that there is, it's not a curse in terms of how we might think of it today, but rather a religious type of curse that would have been common at the time and we see in the biblical narrative. And it's a curse that they're extremely aware of. Uh, in the part about the Sabbath, starting from verse 15 to verse 18, if you look at verse 18, Nehemiah, he's honestly probably just utterly confused of what's going on. He says, did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city. Now are you bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? Nehemiah is just confused. He's confused why the people are doing this and probably rightfully so. Exactly. And if you're wondering where the, the conversation about the curse comes in, that was a little bit later in around verse 25 when Nehemiah curses the people. But just thinking about the Sabbath where Andre's talking about here, it's actually interesting how this is one of the background texts for in the Gospel of John, when the religious leaders in Jerusalem get mad at a man that Jesus heals for carrying his bed, in other words, carrying his mat, because it was he was healed on the Sabbath, and he was not allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath. So it's this text that forms the background for this, and also in Jeremiah 17, when the Lord says, Do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath. And if you don't listen to me and don't keep the Sabbath holy and you don't bear and you don't obey not bearing a burden, then it's not going to go well for you. So this is one of the background texts behind John chapter five, when the religious leaders get angry and they're carrying these, they're carrying things and they were not supposed to, they weren't supposed to profane the name of God by doing this. And that's clear in Exodus 31, when the Lord says to Moses in starting in verse 12, that the Sabbath is above all a sign between Israel and God throughout all generations that he is their God and they're obedient and faithful to him. So Sabbath emphasized the sign of Israel's covenant relationship with God. So to break that, that's one of the worst things that they could have possibly done. And that's why Nehemiah gets so upset. And it, it, it goes on in accounts. Uh, in, in chapter 10, they said, we, we will keep ourselves up here and not marry other people from other people groups. They did that. Uh, it says, we'll keep the Sabbath. And then they didn't do that. And then later on, we see that the leaders of, of the city, were uh, such as the Levites, were supposed to live within the city. Uh, they didn't do that either. So basically, each and everything, they decided to break. And it was just very interesting to me because Nehemiah is angry in this moment. He's confused. And this is very different from chapter one, when before he even knew um, who these people were, he wept for their sins and kind of uh, put himself in the same group as them. Now, knowing them and going through this like experience of actually rebuilding this wall and rebuilding the city, rather than, than join himself to those sins, he basically is asking God not to forget the things that he had done. 
he doesn't really want to have any part of this anymore. He doesn't want to be associated with the things that they're doing wrong. And he's asking God to basically spare him uh, from the curse and from anything that God's going to do to basically punish them for what's going on. Exactly. And it's actually kind of funny how the story unfolds in verses 25 through the end of the chapter, because we see after Nehemiah curses them, it wouldn't have been funny for them, but he, he uh, pulls out their hair. And then it turns out that Eliashib, the high priest, his grandson marries Nehemiah's other arch enemy, Sinbalat. Eliashib's grandson marries his, his daughter. So then he ends up chasing him in verse 28 And I just found that hilarious, and I just think that even though it wasn't great for Nehemiah, just some of the punishments were kind of interesting, but there is something in the middle here because he refers to Solomon the king. And so he talks about Solomon's marriage with foreign women and how that led him into sin. And then he points, look at that. That should have been an example for us. And I think that's a lesson we can take today because often we look at other people's sin, whether it's past or present, and then we justify our own sin or we think, oh, I'm not that bad of a person because look at them, look what they're doing. I can do the same thing or I can sin in another way and it's justified. But as we're reminded again and again by the cross, we need to compare ourselves to the actual high priest, Jesus, who was perfect. And remember, that's why we need the blood of the cross. So while we often justify our sins because of other people's, Nehemiah's emphasis is we should avoid sin because we can look at the example of other people who have come before us, like Solomon, and how that ruined them and and affected the body of Christ or how that affected the people of Israel. And then... and. and that's really good how basically Nehemiah is looking to look at the, the mistakes of people in the past and he wants to correct that. And he obviously doesn't have the example of Jesus, but he knows that they're not doing the right thing. And we just see throughout this whole book and how Ezra and Nehemiah have just been basically trying to do the right thing. It says in verse 30 that uh, he tried to correct uh, what was going wrong. He tried to cleanse every, them of everything foreign, uh, reestablish the duties of the leaders uh, he reestablished the offerings. He did all that kind of stuff. He's trying to correct what's going wrong and basically wants to go on from there and ends it with, remember me, oh my God, for good. And basically we've just seen throughout this whole book how Ezra and Nehemiah really were very good leaders uh, to the people in Jerusalem and how they wanted to do what was best and in accordance to what God wanted them to do. Exactly. So just thinking about who Israel was in the Old Testament, going off what you said about Ezra and, ne- Ezra and Nehemiah, They really embody a great picture of spiritual Israel, not just national Israel in the sense of, oh, they're a part of this nation that God has chosen, but they're actually part of spiritual Israel who is saved by faith in God, this idea that God is preserving a remnant. And so they embody reformers who are part of spiritual Israel and they seek to restore a kingdom that had seemingly been lost in exile. And now that they've returned they they've been seeking to do that. And as we've been talking about chronologically, Ezra and Nehemiah would have been towards the end of the old Testament. And that just kind of just paints a, a good picture toward to that paints a good picture to how this points to Jesus. It points to the new Testament. Exactly. So remember where we started when we did Mike's history lesson in chapter one. They'd been in exile for 70 years. They'd returned in Ezra. They built the wall in Nehemiah. So people are brought back to this holy city. 
However, although a lot of good things happened under Ezra and Nehemiah's leadership, we see that the kingdom of Israel as it once was pre-exile is not restored. There's no king. The temple as we discussed in a previous episode of Nehemiah, is not like it once was. God's presence is not restored in the same way. So two things that we're thinking about there is a lack of the same idea of presence and no king. So as we open the New Testament, thinking about what were what their expectations are and what we should be expecting in the chronology of the story is that we're looking for God's presence and we're looking for a king. And that's exactly what Jesus does, bringing not just any presence of God to earth, but coming as God himself and establishing himself through the crucifixion and resurrection as the king of the world. And this is why in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus walks into Galilee and says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's why in season two, we're going to be going through the gospel of Mark. Yes, sir. And that's just really cool because we're going to go Old Testament, what happened right before this, go straight into the New Testament, how all this stuff is fulfilled. And it's just going to be a really beautiful picture. And hopefully everyone just really enjoys that and really just takes a lot away from it. For sure. We can't wait to get back into going through a book of the Bible in the next season in the fall. We can't wait to talk about Jesus the King, the Son of God, as Mark's going to emphasize a suffering king. Not the king that Israel would expect, but a king who suffers, who's crucified, but who three days later resurrects and is sitting at the right hand of the Father to this day. So we're looking forward to diving into Mark with everybody. We hope you tune back in for that. And thanks so much for joining us in this journey through Nehemiah. And during this time, just look out for some updates or any supplemental episodes or just bonus episodes. Uh, We're going to try to like keep you guys updated on when we'll start back up again. Uh, We don't know exactly when that's going to be, but we're going to start preparing for that. We're going to start recording for that. We really hope that you guys enjoyed this first season and enjoyed the discussion today and the rest of the episodes. For sure. Thanks so much for tuning in to Radically Normal.